0: This is a Momentum Media production.
1: Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security.
2: G'day, how are you going? Phil Tarrant here, co-host of Investing Insights with Right Property Group. I'm joined by Stephen Waters Esquire and Victor Kumar, directors of Right Property Group. We've been doing this for many, many years now and uh, I really enjoy it once a month we get together, uh, I get picked on. It's a nice way for me to uh, recalibrate my views to property and property investing. And we've steered the discussion and narrative over the COVID-19 pandemic period when properties were going to tank and then they rocketed up the highest growth that uh, most people have seen in their lifetime and now are on a softening in property markets. Um, We're all aware of and abreast. With the ongoing uh, tightening of monetary policy, rising interest rates, what the impact is of property markets, uh, we don't need to go too much into that. But um, one of the dynamics that I feel, and I guess we, the collective uh, co-hosts of uh, Investor Insights, the Right Property Group, is um, people are talking about this being an ideal opportunity to uh, do well in property if you have the right investing mindsets. And they generally view that through Uh, the prism of buying properties cheaper. However, there's another dynamic underway right now that I see the best investors doing is that they're changing essentially their asset base into different types of assets. So they're trading up, they're trading out of and trading up into other asset classes, property, but in terms of the, I guess, the price point of them. And rather than growing portfolios, a lot of people are actually downsizing their portfolios by way of how many properties they hold. They're shuffling the decks and in many ways, this is an opportunity for property investors to change their philosophy and to change the way they're investing in property and jumping up a bracket or two brackets in terms of the the value of the properties they're investing in uh, and maybe having few of them or, or, or little of them. So we're going to sort of get into that today. There's lots of moving parts with this. and sort of got a way in which I'm going to try and structure this this conversation with Steve and Victor because uh, it might be a new concept for a lot of people. They haven't thought about this beforehand. As in rather than buying more properties in this current market cycle and and over the next couple of years when there will be good buying conditions, you might want to start changing what you're buying. And that's going to be the focus of today's chat. Gentlemen, how are you going? Well? Going
0: well, mate going well just backing the conversation up a little bit about how you get picked on mm. <laughs> um, if the button had I been pressed in terms of recording beforehand the listener yeah. would have heard the the volume of <laughs> the volume of critique against Victor's dress sense mm. that was just spewing out of your mouth and poor Victor you know, just to to back him up here really had nothing to come back with
2: well it didn't so no, even, it's it's just a, that um, there's an old adage of he who has the gold makes the rules so uh you're on our network and I'm holding the button that presses play and <laughs> when we start recording stuff. So I'll um I'll use my privilege to decide when and where we start recording this particular podcast, Stephen.
0: What's well, about you the know, Steve, privilege you do the,
1: have? It's just jealousy rearing his head, right? He, he he just admires my dress sense and you know the best form of flattery is uh, critique. Potentially. Yeah, you are looking quite fit at the moment, uh Vic. You're sort
2: of getting out and keeping active. <laughs> You it's see what it's he's doing there, some. Vic? Do you see what he's doing there? Yeah,
1: I know, I know. He's, he's, whack, he's, whack, he's whack. just bucking me up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the bill must be due or something, you know? <laughs> well, it's
2: a metaphor for property investment at the moment. Mark's getting beaten up, Victor. But really, underneath it's uh it's gold dust.
0: Gold dust. Oh god. It's all downhill from now. It is. We'll <laughs> talk the- about rocketing markets and stuff. Um well that's true. And look, there's no rocketing markets. Uh, generally speaking, anywhere throughout the country, nor do we want it, to mm. be fair. And we've talked about that over the years, that a booming market isn't necessarily mm. the best thing to have over time. And what we have today is clearly a softening market across a lot of the country. But what it also does, without sounding like that property guys we often refer to, it does give a chance for people to perhaps change strategy slightly, but also uh, it may expose opportunities that are rarely presented as everybody goes one direction. And if you're in a fit enough position, you could actually take advantage of that. And and what we're referring to there is not the different types of assets, but what the assets have to offer. And that may be in terms of price, hence the bracket creep. It might be in terms of opportunity, could be development, could be commercial, there's a multitude of, I guess, different assets that we could purchase once again as everybody goes left and we zig right. But you need to be in a position to do that, and and that is getting those basics right over the prior years to set yourself up for moments like this. Absolutely.
1: And Steve, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head in terms of um, it exposes people. But on the counter as well, it also, a market like this also exposes people that haven't set up their portfolio correctly and they've they've gone down the uh, age old: how many properties have I got or what's the value of my property, where have I bought it in terms of, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in a waterfront location, and it may not match what their financial capabilities are. And a rising interest rate market or, and a slowing market at the same time certainly exposes those types of portfolios as well.
2: Yeah. this it, sort of, um, you know, I want to use some language. You've got to be careful with it. We're, we're talking about sort of trading up into... Mm. Uh, Other brackets, but up doesn't necessarily mean better always. You know, have a conversation around it's around the quality of the asset, not how expensive it is. You can get really, really good lower uh, valued property assets and you can get really, really bad lower valued property assets. And on the other side of it, if you look at the mid and and upper market uh, assets, and you know, if you jump outside of the norm where a lot of property investors operate, and that's at, you know, four or five. Six hundred grand type stuff, um, which you can still find right across the nation. Maybe not in, in Sydney and Melbourne, and that sort of mid market. Steve, you could probably say sort of one and a half to sort of two and a half, three million bucks, and then you know anything above that, you're sort of at the top end of it. Um, you get different people operating at different levels of those asset levels, but um, you can get expensive properties that aren't very good assets, and you can get expensive properties which are really good assets. So, so quality is a product of how much money you have to spend and trading up brackets by way of the value of those assets. Um, some people are fortunate enough to enter into those asset levels um at a particular time because of savings or because of their jobs or because of, you know, assets they already have or they can extrapolate out of, you know, family money, et cetera. Whereas most property investors, Victor, sort of start at the lower end of buying because that's pretty much that's all that's available to them. So what we're talking about in this market cycle that we're in right now, if you've been operating inside of uh, property investment for a decade, buying sort of lower value assets in those sort of mortgage belt suburbs of Australia, now might be the time you can start training up into more expensive properties Um mm. when typically these opportunities wouldn't, if if the trajectory of the market continued as it was, it would have been very, very hard to move into that. But now might be the time. And that's if pretty have, much what we're talking about.
0: If you have the preparation. and If you've got I, it I, right. Yeah. And so let, let's... I guess, set some some ground rules mm. to begin with. there there is the the myth that the more you pay, the better the quality of the investment or the asset is, and that's just not right. Another myth is uh, the closer you buy to the CBD centers, and it will be more expensive that the better it will perform over time, and we've never bought uh, into that myth, and that's exactly what it is. However, for simple maths you buy something at a million and a half and 10% growth of that is far more attractive as a dollar amount than say 10% growth of 500,000 so that is granted however in times like that we have today where the interest rate environment is twice that of what it was you know 12 to 18 months ago the higher the price typically generally i should say the the more expensive the asset is the lower the cash flow associated with it is. And I'm I'm devoid of commercial for a minute. We'll get to that a little bit later on. So if you're paying more, your yield is low. Now, whilst you're in a very low interest rate environment of 18 months or thereabouts ago, it's far more palatable to be able to absorb that. But you fast forward to a normalized period, some would argue that we have today. And suddenly for a lot of people, there is an immense pressure uh, on that cash flow position because typically the yield just isn't there associated with those higher uh, valued or those higher priced properties. Now, I heard a podcast last week or a, a, a YouTube snippet of a podcast where where someone was saying, the buyer's agent was saying, essentially you'd be mad to buy these more affordable properties because it's a job. You know, you, you'll you need more to have that same dollar exposure. You know, Let's call it $2 million. You'll need four of them at $500 as opposed to one $2 million asset and that you would be mad to do anything other than buy that that singular asset. And whilst there's some merit, albeit very sort of small amount of merit, what that person didn't mention was the angst that that comes with it in today's environment, once again, going back to that lack of cash flow scenario. So it's a very dangerous throwaway comment to be saying something like that to the mass, and I realised that that particular person had to be general. But if we took, say, Victor and my circumstances where we, we started with Very little. Uh, We had to build an asset base of multiple dwellings because it was affordable to us. Our strategies, and Vic can sort of jump in a little to concur, that we were after the multiple streams of income because that didn't put as much pressure on our household budgets. But you fast forward our positions today, and we've been through a gazillion cycles. We've created an asset base that's stable with cash flow attached, which comes over time. And our finance situation via liquidity, which we'll also get to and explore a little bit further down the track, gives the opportunity perhaps to be able to purchase these higher priced assets with lower cash flow, but potential more upside in terms of that dollar value when the market normalizes. But very few people can jump in and just do that off the get-go unless you've got an extremely high household budget with mass amounts of disposable income, but for the normal person, Mr. and Mrs. Average, we have to start with a sound, secure, safer base of potentially multiple streams of income, therefore multiple assets to cushion the effect of higher expenditure via rates at times that we have today. If you go all in with the lower cash flow, higher asset value, without any of that safety underneath you, well, then you'll become that resentful investor more often than not, and you'll end up selling in a market like we have today or potentially in three to four months' time to people like us who are potentially more ready and more secure via years and different cycles.
1: Yeah, so what, we, what we're saying is that uh, initially you need to put your foundational properties in place, right? So that, that's your rock solid foundation. These properties are a lot more liquid. They're easier to manoeuvre. Without getting caught up in the numbers game, right? And what I mean by that is that you don't want to have that dubious break rights at the barbecue saying, hey, I own 10 properties. Sometimes, and most times I'd say, someone owning 10 properties may be worse off than someone owning, say, four, but it's it's how we mix it up. So In the initial stages, as you get started, and the qualifier on this is that with most of us, we haven't got that much disposable income in the beginning stages. If you're starting early enough, we haven't got enough capital to go into that much higher priced bracket as such. So, what we're doing is then going into these growth areas and getting these properties that are very easy to hold onto, regardless of the interest rate. It has got specific strategies to boost up your cash flow if you get into the harder markets. And ultimately, if it goes against, if it goes wrong, financially it doesn't absolutely slaughter you because you're still able to offload that without getting a big dip in terms of pricing as opposed to say you bought a million and a half uh, worth of property, one property, and it went against you. You'd be hurting a lot more if if we had to give back say 10% as opposed to say a $500,000 property. So in the initial stages, that's what we do. The banks absolutely love it because not only are you... Dependent on just the one or two income streams, you've got multiple income streams. And that's one of the hallmarks of good business sense is that you need diversification, different areas, different sources of cash flow. Once you've done that, once the portfolio starts maturing, and, and one of the key things that Steve mentioned earlier is that both him and I have started many years ago, and a lot of people want instant wins. But if you had a formulated approach of let's get the foundation in place which has got liquidity, which has still got good, really good growth. And also not being caught up in, well, I paid 300 for these types of properties four years, five years ago, and still searching for the 300K property, which automatically pushes you into a different area. But understanding that a well-selected area, you will get growth, you will get doubling effect. Now, whether that happens in one year, two years, 15 years is, no one, uh, is under no one's control. It's just how it'll pan out. Once you've got that in place, then you are able to then leverage off that, leverage of that safety into your slightly illiquid properties in the sense that if you've got high interest rates, these properties aren't easier to sell because there's less people qualifying for those loans. And the best time to buy them would be in environments like this where you've got a cooling market, you've got higher interest rates, you've got people panicking in terms of, I have not seen these type of rates before, Uh, hadn't taken into account the holding cost of it. And that becomes pretty much your jewel in the crown um, generational type property. Uh, And then you can then start thinking of, okay, how am I going to get rid of all the debt around this? And do we sell down some assets? Do we actively start developing? And it doesn't just necessarily mean that we're just buying one property. One of the things that both Steve and I do is given the the type of property we're buying is perhaps a whole block of units, which it allows us to do that based on the equity and the liquidity we have behind us. I think you've hit the nail on the head
0: there with the, the the terminology around liquidity, and it's not just our own personal liquidity, it's liquidity within the market. So what we're really wanting to do is, is set our base uh, of sound foundations around property types that for the most are always going to be in a liquid market, so that when we get to a certain point in time, we can then purchase, dare I say it, illiquid assets or at a moment in time when they're not liquid which would be the higher priced properties of today because they're more let's call them seasonal not in terms of the weather patterns but but I guess pivoting from liquid to illiquid liquid to illiquid because there's only a narrower about band of people that can afford those types of property and so when an economy is struggling or there are certain circumstances where the individuals of those smaller localities are struggling, that asset becomes far more illiquid than something that's more affordable. And it's at that point in time, such as today in some of these markets, if you are in a position, is to absolutely take advantage of the illiquid asset, but not in its true sense. So we're not talking about it's always illiquid, because those same assets 18 months ago had severe FOMO, where they were achieving ridiculous prices because everybody was flush. And what we want to do is set ourselves up for that flush time ahead, whenever that may be, so that we're getting a bigger, not a bigger rate of growth, but a bigger dollar growth. But we need to just make sure that we've got everything below us that's squared away, foundationally correct, which is always around the cash flow.
1: And one of the things that uh, I've done and you've done, Steve, is that uh, we've we've bought our properties in silos, in other words, in groups, right? So we've had a group of foundational properties and say, off this, we will get into a bigger price to a different area uh, as such. And and, um, at that time, that property would be relatively illiquid. And what it does is as a group of properties, as one portfolio that we've created, and could be three properties, four properties, 10 properties in that group, right? It allows us to pivot at any point in time. So in that group of properties, one would be your get out of jail card. In other words, it, you can do a quick rent on it and offload it in any market and walk away with the profit. So that could come later in the piece, but it's not the first property. But it plugs into there. The other property in there could be your cash flow property. This is where you may uh, be able to derive multiple income streams. So in other words, a really easy example would be putting a granny flat on it down the track, so it buffers up the cash flow. And once uh, and and then the other property that you may have in there is one that's fairly easy to pay out. So lower mortgage on it. These three properties might support that higher price properties. And as a group, it could be that it's got a relatively low negative cash flow. And as time goes on, that negative cash flow erodes because your rents are going up, your mortgages are going down. And once you've set one up, you can say, you know what, that's it. That's it for me. I'll now go back to. My passion, which is not property, it's actually lying on the beach. Or it could be that uh, you, you decide that this is now set aside. I will now start working on the next silo of properties or next group of properties, and it's fairly easy to set up so long as you have it in your mind it's not an overnight thing. It goes over two or three cycles of property cycles uh, because you will go through that upheaval of, and we've gone, we've all gone through this where. We've bought fairly rapidly and then you find the banks absolutely can't lend you any money because you've capped out, right? And then you need to wait for the next cycle, whether it's the finance cycle or the property cycle itself, to then be able to reignite your borrowing capacity and then do a growth spurt again, And this time around going up a level in terms of property. One of the fallacies that people fall into is trying to, if they've got, say, a million dollar capacity... They're trying to get three three hundred thousand dollar properties in that. Now, for some, it does make sense to do it that way because that's the only way they can actually go into multiple property ownership. But for others, you'd rather do two or maybe just the one and get a better cash flow property as opposed to a admin nightmare. The more properties you hold, the more work there is involved in the background, which is something that a lot of people don't talk about.
2: Yeah, it's a good point, Vic, and I sometimes feel like that where I just go, yeah, too many things to administer. I wish I had less at a higher price point for the same debt level, less work, less energy, and less effort, but hopefully get the same upside. The, the challenge that we have in this discussion, guys, is that um, for a lot of people, it's it's irrelevant. Uh, for those who are just starting out, you know, we're we're talking about being in the market for a period of time, having uh, experience multiple property cycles and having uh, received the benefits of holding property over a period of time. That said though, for those starting out, you need to be thinking about what 10, 15, 20 years looks like. And we, we've spoken before about designing your decade. It's a nice clean concept of saying, okay, every 10 years, this is how things are going to plan out or, or, or shape or change. So it's not irrelevant what we're talking about for, for people starting out because this is when you start thinking about, okay, how am I going to realize the benefits of holding property through a consolidation phase or a, a trading phase, trading up brackets, um, getting set for a period of time when you want to be generating income from a debt-free property portfolio. So conceptually, there's a lot going on uh, with this particular chat. And being able to participate in property is a product of capacity financially. It's a product of capability. Do you have the skill sets? It's a product of timing where are you in your property journey and your life cycle, whether it's raising families or having kids or paying school fees or whatever, but it's also a product of understanding the market and being reactive and responsive to when markets change and looking at changing markets in a positive way rather than negative ways. A lot of people, Steve, right now who are viewing this softening market cycle very negatively, whereas you guys are viewing it completely the opposite, as in where are those opportunities? And the key point here is that if you're at a point where you can start shuffling the deck and holding more picture cards rather than, you know, threes, fours, five, and six, there might be a chance to actually start doing that. It's how do you go about doing it is the key thing, Vic. So just to speak tactically a little bit, you know, if you want to get rid of your your sixes and sevens and eights and you want to start getting jacks, kings, you know, queens, how do you go about doing that? First
1: of all, you've got to make sure that you understand the cards you've been dealt with, dealt There first, you go. Right. Yeah, You need to know what hand you're holding before you make your play. Because most people uh, tend to make their play before they understand their cards. And also, equally importantly, understand the rules of the game. But if you don't understand the rules of the game, you can't take advantage of the cards you hold. And sometimes, well, actually most times, you want a coach, right? You'd want a coach to be, to help you understand those rules and help you maximize the hand that you hold so that you can take advantage of the market of today. Now, one of the things that that people do in a market like this uh, is they tend to panic. They tend to panic or they try and stick with a strategy that worked 12 months ago. The market has changed substantially, so we need to adjust the strategy accordingly and make sure that we're still talking liquidity from a cash flow point of view. We're still talking... What's the end game? We're still talking, you know, what properties we're buying, where we're buying and not following the herd in terms of if, if everyone's talking Brisbane, if everyone's talking Sydney, that's where we gravitate. If everyone's talking house and land packages or someone in my network has done really well with house and land packages, that's where I go. It still comes back to what your actual capability is over a period of time, not today, over a period of time. Because today you could easily afford to hold a negative cash flow property of, say, $1,000 a month. But we need to plan as to what's going to happen next year. If, let's say, you're starting a family or or if you're changing jobs, will I still be able to afford to hold that property? So there is a strategy that needs to be put in place for that to happen next year and we buy a property accordingly today.
2: You make a really good point, there, Vic, and that is... Some people are playing poker when really they should be playing blackjack. They don't know what game they're playing, and so many people get it wrong. And and you know, using card analogy or or um, card games analogies, it's yeah, it's it's not a bad bad way to look at it because you know the strategy that worked today won't work tomorrow depending on the game that you're playing your time your time of practicing the art of playing cards means you're going to be better at the game itself the best people work with as you said beforehand a coach to help them get really good at doing it you know it's, card games are a bit sort of littering right you know it's 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 a bit more serious maybe uh playing in property but steve you you're, you you know your way around a poker table um bit of texas holdem uh always going blind on cards.
0: Uh, that's more your strategy, isn't it? I don't even know how to play poker. I don't even know what you're talking about. It, um, but you know, as you were getting all these little analogies around the card game. I'm putting flavour to the conversation because otherwise it was you coming up with the idea, Steve, it would be pretty boring. Well, you know, you're not playing with a full deck of cards. So. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> it, um, <laughs> but, look, let's continue the flavour. There are times where you would be all in. Yeah, it's um, there'd be times we'd fold, yeah, know when to hold them, might write a song. But I think being a little bit more serious, that we need to determine in and around this, this, I guess, this concept of bracket creep is it something that's happening organically? Because if we bought 20 years ago, clearly we're paying more today, or is it something that is more dynamic, it's more methodical and strategic. At certain points of time, that we actually physically increase the value purchase or the the value of the asset that we're purchasing. So, if we use you as an example, Phil, and we go back to the end of the GFC where we started on those those more affordable property types with value add opportunities, Mm. and then progressively we've created a portfolio of, of different, I guess, valued. Properties with different components, whether it be multiple streams of income, renovation, um, land banking, uh, whatever it may be, all the way through to today, where we're now looking at a different type of property that is something that, and Vic touched on it a little earlier, that it may be generational Mm. or it may be setting ourselves up in a position while everyone's zigging and we're zagging, as I mentioned earlier before for when the market does normalize and potentially has another bull run, because there will be another bull run, we just don't know when it is, that we're now controlling a, a more valuable asset that still may have the same rate of growth as all the other properties, but we're talking a bigger dollar value, mm. which will then allow us to be able to propel again for the next cycle. Because the thing, what a lot of investors make the mistake where, they think it is just this buy, hold, and hope scenario and where we it's its all passive. It sits in the background and you know, we leave it alone. And look, that can work. There's no doubt about that. And it does work. But if you're serious about it, if you're business orientated, if you're strategic, methodical, you are always in the market, whether it be psychological or physically. Whether it be that you're adjusting or whether you're in the workup phase so that you can I guess, obtain finance to be able to take advantage of opportunities as they present themselves. And once again, without sounding like that property guy, or those property guys, plural, we've been there, done that. Like We've seen this type of, I guess, narrative within the market. We've seen these types of results in the market before, and so too have many other people. And the one thing I can absolutely guarantee is that all of those that have been through this before and do something about it are in a very fortunate position three, four, five, ten years forward because the days are long but the years are short and things tend to work themselves out very quickly. Yeah, you don't want to be that person which no doubt will be me, Steve, in three years'
2: time complaining to you of going, I should have done more when I could have back in late 2022, 2023.
0: You know, yeah, I should have got, got my got, finance ready.
2: Should've I should have sorted of, um, my tax. Done, yeah. Should've, yeah. Should've, I should have, should have, should have, would have, could have. Should have, could have, yeah. would have, right? So, you know, if, if you want to, to capitalise on on this, and that won't be meek because I'll, I've got my stuff sorted at the moment, but there'll be a lot, lot of people who fall into that bucket. It's nice talking about it, but you've got to do something about it, right? You know, you've got to invest time, energy, and effort into – Manufacturing the outcome you want in this particular market. So, first thing is that it's a mind, mindset thing. Uh, and if you're tuning into this, you've probably got hopefully a more positive mindset towards probably the negative mindset, as in you're invested in the opportunities in this market rather than sitting there sort of crying all the way into to the bank because you, your property is going down in value. So, absolutely got to start with a mindset thing. But then there's a, a realization of where you are, you know, in your capacity to borrow money and and how you want to build out your portfolio. And if you've been sloppy and got a bit fat over the, the heady days of the last two years with property going up in value, and you might find yourself un- unable to borrow money, or you might find yourself with the wrong assets thinking that time, the hold and hope will do everything in your favor. So where do you start now, Vic? If this if this resonates, if you've been investing in property for 10, 15 years, and you've got a pretty decent portfolio, and but they're all the sort of stuff that if you haven't actually traded in and out of the assets that you originally bought and you're still holding on to stuff and you've had it for 10 years and 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 I would frame some of the the properties inside the smart property investment portfolio which we talk about would fall into that bucket which there's a lot of them in there and administratively it's a headache and we could probably have better assets in there better inverted commas as in maybe um less at more value like what's the first step for me what's the first step for those people Vic what do you do
1: Well, I've got to start with the cliche, which is not really cliche when you really look at it, is that you need to, first of all, know where you're heading in terms of what you're trying to achieve, right? So if, if you know that, you can then adjust, enhance your portfolio. The second thing you need to know is know your properties as as to the potential of the properties, because they they do change over time as well, um, uh, development-wise, in terms of the um, gentrification of areas and so forth, right? So once you know those things and you know your lending capacity and the capability of utilizing the equity that you've already created in the foundational properties, that's when you need to decide whether enough's enough and you've got what you needed or whether you needed to have one jewel in the crown or multiple jewels in the crown, or whether it is a matter of with good accounting advice, good taxation advice, liquidate some of those properties and others sell them in a good market. So that would have been 12 months ago to then replace them with properties that now are more in line with your current goals, with your current financial. Because remembering that we've worked hard over the years to build up the foundational wealth, And now we can leverage off that into the next level as such. Now, the next level could mean that we're selling down some to pay down the others. It could mean that we are leveraging off what we've got to get into other assets. And it it could also mean that we're leveraging and recycling debt to get into our dream home. Right now, all of those things are individual goals and and they they match up to individual people. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a one approach for everyone. It still needs to come back to the capacity, the capability, and your reason for doing it. And if the reason was that, well, everyone was doing it, so I jumped on board as well, you need to sort that out a little bit more, make it a little bit more finite so that you know where you're heading. And then that gives you then the capability in today's market to absolutely take advantage of the what I would call the bracket creep, getting into your next level properties. Now, whether it is still the same type of property, but multiples, so in other words, block of units or, or a development type block, or it could be that it is a more expensive property in a perhaps more fashionable area, if I could use that word. So it's not necessarily the same process for everyone. Uh, And if you're starting out, I guess the the most important thing is understanding that these are stepping stones, just like your home. If you're starting, uh, you know, wanted to get into a particular area, you started out of that area, bought something that was affordable to you at that time, traded your way up into the dream home or the dream area. The same is true for investments as well particularly property investment, where you are able to, in inverted commas, trade yourself up into a good generational portfolio, which you can pass down the years, as opposed to a flash in the pan, you did well, and then you had to then sell down a lot of the assets. So we sit down with clients of all walks of life. And one of the common things I find is that the you know, the person I'm talking to? They would say, "Oh, my uncle or my father or owned a lot of properties. He used to own a lot of properties, and they've got nothing to show for it." And that's because it wasn't set up the right way. It wasn't progressed the right way to be generational. They had to sell down within their lifetime.
0: Mm. I think it's a good analogy, Vic, because if if you mention the stepping stones with your yeah you know, with your own home. You you start with what you can afford and it grows and then you start to create a higher income for the household and then you get to the next one and then the next one and the next one to hopefully get to that forever home scenario. And buying or purchasing or controlling investment properties is no different. You start where you can afford and then you start to maximize and then bracket creep up again and again and again. But the timing of the or the asset selection and the timing, I think, is needs to be near impeccable. And you gave a couple of examples. You know, whether it was in a more what was it? What was the way that you described it? Um, fashionable. fashionable, fashionable. If it was in a more fashionable area, I still think. Well, for me, anyway, I still carry the same approach. If it was in the fashionable area, as to the not so fashionable area, and for me, that is still. Well, how do I value add? This opportunity. I don't want to buy. If we took today's example of the economy and certain markets in those fashionable areas, I don't want to buy just for the sake of buying. I don't want to go in there and control something just to control it and wait for the upside. I still need to have that, I guess, that that risk mitigation approach where I'm not just reliant upon organic growth. So how can I manufacture as well? Now that's just my flavor, and I and I get that not everybody likes to do that. But I will find the house that needs a haircut and shave, as we describe it, in the fashionable area at the right price- At the right time. At the right time. So that's one approach or that's one asset type. But there are those that potentially missed the boat on a different type of property. And let's call it, uh, in some cases, commercial, where at the beginning of the year- we're buying commercial and, I, and I'm not. I'm being quite general here because there's obviously a lot of good commercial and we've done lots of it over the years, but I can't help but think that the timing wasn't at its most lucrative time to be buying early this year into commercial where if you sit back and think about it, because actually come back a step, why are you buying commercial? You're really trying to do it to prop up the cash flow and, and, and the growth, but the cash flow is the most, I guess- Prevalent thing that you're thinking about in your head, and if you had sat back and thought about it and said, "Well, you know what? We're in a rising interest rate environment here." And side note, if you didn't think that that was going to happen—not just commercial but residential—then you were burying your head in the sand. Commercial typically, commercial finance typically has a higher rate of interest than residential. It's more complex in times of normality because of the way that the banks apply that risk. To it. And the higher the risk, the higher the premium that you're paying. And unfortunately, I see some commercial investors today that have bought, let's even forget earlier this year because they might have just timed it okay on the back end, that may be buying stuff today or worse still have stuff that's rolling out of a fixed right or a lease stock loan or something like that. They've taken a six or seven percent net yield and they're rolling into an eight percent finance scenario. So the very reason generally speaking, that they've bought commercial is now going to have quite the opposite effect. So it's not just about the timing of the assets, it's the timing and type, which is very, very important so that you're not actually taking four, five, six steps back and being cornered into a position. So the way that you start is the the way that you mean to continue. And I would suggest that people need to apply the same methodology. If it works for you, then there's nothing wrong with bracket creeping, but if you swap and you tack and you change, just because it's all over social media, then I think that's a dangerous. And this is Sorry. the point, Steve. We've spoken at length about this: of changing
2: the type of properties you're buying isn't changing your strategy. Correct. And and that's a that's a key thing. You're still doing the same thing largely. That it's just that the the dollar value of the asset you're buying is different. And that's the benefit of, of of bracket creep. You know, it's it's where people fundamentally change their strategy, where they go from, oh, I've done it now, I'm going to go and do this, I'm going to go and buy off-the-plan stuff, or I'm going to go and develop my own stuff, and then I'm going to go and do this, and the are is, is, uh, The people that Victor has spoken about who, hey, my grandfather owned lots and lots and lots of properties, and now we have nothing because they've had to trade them all in one generation. So lots of concepts there today, Vic, and, and maybe a lot of people's heads are spinning. So more questions, more info, m- more logic to it Or Can they chat with you guys? You're, you're not winding up yet for Chrissy. You guys are pushing through. This is usually. <laughs>
0: uh, none of us spoke then. Uh, yeah. No, we've still got a couple of weeks left. Because our staff oh, does enough.
1: listen to this as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> you're working until Christmas Eve. <laughs> and beyond. You know, nothing, much, nothing much changes. And before we do close down, you, you just – I guess, tweak something that is traditionally the fest- festive season orientated, and that is around great opportunity in and around Christmas. December's a great time to buy, Steve. Well, you know, it 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 is and it isn't. You know, a lot of people- You can people, get into trouble at uh, this time you can well. Yeah, exactly. You can really get into trouble if you go into it with your eyes wide shut. I think that the Christmas period can be a good thing, but you should approach it, I guess, with timelines at the front of your mind. And what I mean by that is, you know, when do things settle? When do they go unconditional? Who's going to do your settlement inspections? Are your conveyances around? Are your settlement people around? So just make sure that the machine is well-oiled if you are purchasing in and around Christmas, that you're not left holding the baby, so to speak. Mm, Yeah.
1: Now, for those that, uh, you know, have been listening to this and then Thinking, you know, where do I start? Uh, all you need to do is jump onto our website. Uh, there's a contact me form. You will get to speak with either myself or Steve. Um, there is a bit of a process uh, to help uh, get the maximum benefit out of our time. So it just the, the website is rightpropertygroup.com.au, or you can just jump on our socials.
2: There you have it. Go and check the guys out, rightpropertygroup.com.au. Gentlemen, uh, we'll get another installment of this. Uh, Next month and uh, and a month after. Unlike the Reserve Bank of Australia, uh, we don't have January off, so um, we'll be around for the whole uh, Chrissy season. I'm sure. G- give us a tip, Steve. What's going to happen?
0: December interest rates. Do you know what I was? You must have been just reading my lips, and I was trying to interrupt you to ask you exactly the same thing. All right, I'll go first. I'll show my hand going back to mm. your, your card things, your yeah, joker. Yeah. Oh, there's two. Uh, <laughs> uh, mate, you're a, you're a roll today. So, something's happened. You, you, did you have your wheat mix this morning? I don't eat breakfast, Phil. No? No, mate. Don't eat breakfast. Yeah. Um, what do I think is going to happen? I think it's inevitable that clearly there'll be another increase. Um, I would imagine it would be 0.25. Having said that, uh, the US Fed have reported – that inflation has started to to even out, and in some cases, you know, come back, and their stock or their stock markets had a great rally on that news. Unless you're into tech stocks, unless you're into tech stocks, correct? But also, just which is, I guess, which we've got to throw into the pool of of the rate decision. You know, we had the prime minister and the president of the United States meet with the Chinese yesterday. Oh. When this is released a week ago. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone was shaking hands and group hugging and high fiving. Who knows what becomes of that? But importantly, China have also indicated that they're going to soften their zero COVID infection rate policy, which will allow mobility for industry and people. So maybe that will help release those bottleneck supplies that we have throughout the world. And I don't know, Ukraine and Russia, I mean, Russia's not having a very good time of it. Um, who knows? Are we getting closer to the end of that um, or some sort of an agreement? So when you throw all of that into the basket, and we're all crystal ball gazing, of course, I still think we'll get another interest rate rise, potentially two, maybe three. But I'd like to think that uh, by the end of next quarter, we'll have that neutral cash rate is what I'd like to see. And I, yeah, once again, plan for the worst, hope for the best. What do you think? Me? Yeah. Well, well, I want to know what Victor
2: knows. You've
1: got to say what what Steve said. Yeah, I agree with Steve. Absolutely. But I have a a simple philosophy. It will be what it will be. I've got all of my mitigations in place. Uh, Bring it on.
2: There you go. The pragmatist versus the optimist. Where do I sit? I'm I'm with you, Steve. I I think I came out something the other day, 0.25 in December. Obviously, nothing in Jan, maybe nothing in Feb, and again in March, I reckon. I think Westpac Bank is, reckon, official cash rate of 3.85 is a real top out. I think Commonwealth Bank is saying 3.2, 3.25. So even even the, the banks see some disparity in, in where it's going to land. A lot of it's going to come down to a lot of those macro and microeconomic factors that Steve um, mentioned. Those numbers out of the Fed were quite encouraging. It's not going up. It's sort of plateauing inflation. So let's see how it plays out in Australia. But it's got to be more think, to
0: come. Um, I do think, Phil, though, that there is a lot of hurt in the Australian economy. Uh, yeah, for the individuals, yeah. more and more and more, we're seeing stories. You know, people can't pay for their groceries. You know, in the supermarket, or people are living in a tent or in a car or you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, you know, there is so a h- lot h- of hurt homelessness is a massive issue, and we've spoken about this. It's it oh, is a, it's just- a very very big
2: issue and. You know the the market is demanding a certain certain rent now on on properties, which is pricing a lot of people out of it. So, you know, there's mm. a negative bracket creep for people, right? They've got to start moving out further from potentially where they're living right now for the the purpose of um, renting a property. You know, can, a very different conversation to have. But um,
0: but I think the reason I bring up that that there's, there is a lot of hurt as we close within the economy for the individuals. I'm not sure that that data has flowed through yet. Mm. I'm not sure there's enough attention on it. I mean, everyone wants to talk about it from a high level, but I think we'll we'll see in and around Christmas, I guess, the effects of what's happened over the last four to five months. Yeah. You're going to see through Christmas spending numbers just how much people are hurting. Um mm. might be a know. last hurrah though. Everyone might be just saying, you know what, screw it. Let's just spend it. Yeah. Stuff as, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we've said before, one of the things that I, I closely watch is the the credit card spend or the credit card debt with the banks, Mm. Uh, and I'm very keen to see what those numbers are uh, that they report on soon, just to see if we've gone from our lowest credit card debt since forever through to have we seen a massive uptick, um, which I would suggest that we have. Yeah, probably right. Anyway, maybe
2: uh, chat for us um, uh, for our December close of the year podcast. We can sort of break all that stuff down and get some sense for what the future looks like Steve Waters, Victor Kumar, thanks for your time today. This is Investing Insights with Right Property Group. Remember to go and check these guys out, uh, rightpropertygroup.com.au or you find them on social media. We'll see you next time. Until then, bye-bye.
1: The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision
2: is appropriate for you.